0: Welcome back to the Act Two Podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh.
1: And I'm Josh Hallman.
0: And I guess before, I know Josh is itching to get into it, but before we launch into our episode today, I just want to remind you all to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of our awesome topics that are coming up. Uh, if you have time, give us a rating, write a comment, tell us how bad or good we're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you'd rather DM us, Questions, comments, topic suggestions also. I just want to say hi. You can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com. And that's all spelled out. Or on our Instagram at act2writers.
1: I just want to reiterate, listeners, do it.
0: I'm in for you.
1: I'll find you. All right, Tasha. It's a very, very special day today.
0: I'm a little emotional. We're finally wrapping up. Yeah. Our breakdown series of Back to the Future.
1: We are doing Act 3 of Back to the Future. And as I was watching Act 3, it got me wondering about our previous episode, how you were thinking that the break into 3 was a little earlier. And I still don't know if you're right. I don't know if I'm right. But I'm starting to doubt myself a little more.
0: Well, I think the interesting thing about this movie is I feel like I'm right. (laughs) But (laughs) it also feels like the third act of the movie, it feels like it becomes a different movie once they are at the clock tower square and they're revving up to just get home. It feels like movie shifts completely at that point, which does feel like maybe that is the break into three and that becomes the Mm -hmm. third act.
1: Yes.
0: Maybe. Oh my
1: God. By the way, this episode, unofficially sponsored by Casamigos again, however, Neither of us are drinking Casamigos, but I feel like since it's been two episodes of Casamigos, I just have to throw it in.
0: Every breakdown series is unofficially sponsored. (laughs) All
1: right. Okay. So let me paint the picture for you, and then I'm just going to pass you the baton, and you just go, Marty... He just finished playing at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. He bounces out of the school as fast as he can, and he goes to find Doc. Baton passed. Then what happens?
0: <laughs> That's all the setup you're giving me? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so it is. We're direct direct pickup from our last episode. We were uh, kind of talking about the last 24 minutes of the movie. and. Yeah there's there aren't that many scenes in in act 3. It, the first one is Doc is in the clock tower square. He keeps checking his watch, Marty's late. And I, yeah. a theme we're going to talk about in act 3 are obstacles. Um something that Josh and I have mentioned many times before, but also I think in act 1 of this series was how J.J. Uh, J. Abrams in Mission Impossible does such a good job at creating obstacles, right? Like, Tom Cruise can't yeah. just get from point A to point B. Five to ten different things have to happen to stop him from getting there before he can get to point B. And I think this is a really good example of that happening in the third act. And so I think we're going to focus on the different obstacles that are faced in each scene. So here, the first Whoa. obstacle is Marty's late, right? Marty's that- late and now everything has to be rushed.
1: Is that the theme of this episode
0: act two was cause and effect i think act three is obstacles
1: okay i like that that seems to make sense to me
0: makes sense too because you're in act three you're rushing to the climax right you're rushing to finish the movie and you can't just get your characters there you have to make it exciting and so yeah we're gonna kind of break down how they make it as exciting as they did with only a few scenes
1: and did you like the third act
0: i love the third act okay
1: okay you're not just saying that because if you were to go against it, there would be a big problem, right? You like really liked it.
0: <laughs> I'm not threatened by you, so no. <laughs> It's a pandemic. Your back hurts. You can't come
1: back. Oh <laughs> my back. Can't get up.
0: I no, I actually love act three of this movie. It pays off so well. It's so incredibly satisfying. I honestly can think of very few movies where I feel as satisfied by the end of it as I do in this movie. Wow. All right. So scene one, Doc is checking his watch. Marty is late. That's our first obstacle because now everything has to be rushed. Marty then pulls up in a car, which where did he get a car? (laughs) I'd assume maybe it was Lorraine's parents' car when he drove her to the dance.
1: I was going to bring this up also. Like, so... Here's the thing. There's a couple moments I feel like in Act Three where remember how in last episode I think you mentioned uh, your boy Joss Whedon, who said uh, coincidences can get you into trouble, but they can't get you out of trouble. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a few coincidences in Act Three that I'm gonna kind of bring up. I don't know if the car was necessarily one, but this is this happened again. I, I can't even remember the moment, but in act two, something happened where Back to the Future gets away with not explaining how certain things happen. Mm-hmm. And I think you mentioned how they're always like running into scenes and running out of scenes. And I and they just do such a great job with that. Maybe it was already, uh, maybe there's another scene where he takes the car and it just wasn't necessary in the final edit. I don't know.
0: Yeah, maybe. Or maybe we see it in the background or something at Doc's house and I just missed it. And it's Doc's car. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah. he's driving a car. And Doc has a really great line here where he's like, you're late. Do you have no concept of time? Which is yeah. so good. Um, and then Marty says that he had to change his clothes and that's why he's late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which has always been a strange excuse to me why that was the thing that's going to prevent you from getting somewhere on time so that you can then go back home. But all right. Yeah. Um, and
1: I want to just say one more thing. At the end of this, I'm going to talk about Marty McFly's arc, or I'm going to ask you about it. And I feel like this is one of those things where Marty was late in the first act, he's late in the third act, nothing's really changing with Marty, like, he's just kind of like, they're like, you're you're late again, you know, and I'm not saying that's like something that should have like been part of his arc or anything like that, but it is a little peculiar that dude just can't show up on time. Hey, come on!
0: I guess that's that's actually what makes it maybe so good is that he really doesn't have a concept of time in a time travel movie. Maybe that's the point.
1: Yeah. Okay. Carry on. It. I buy it. Of course, I buy it.
0: So then Marty tells his dad, tells uh, Doc, you know, my dad did great. He's never stood up to Biff in his life. And then Doc turns to the camera, and there's this kind of worried look on Doc's face. And his face kind of warns us that maybe Marty is just kind of fucked with time a little bit. And then he sets the time machine so that he's going back exactly at the same time that he left. So like nothing ever happened. And here we get again more exposition. Doc explains the plan. You know, go to that white line that I painted over there. And then when this alarm goes off and he like cranks this little hand alarm, then you hit the gas and we have seven minutes and 22 seconds to get this done. So we have an immediate but, ticking clock.
1: But you know, yeah, another ticking clock on top of a ticking clock, <laughs> which is crazy. And you know what's really interesting about the doc scene or you know, picking out the photo and making that face of he's like, he's never hit anyone, or whatever he says. Yeah. Is like I didn't realize it, but doc didn't really give Marty any rules to follow to get his parents back together. Which I don't know if I mean, I'm glad he didn't, but just kind of looking back on it, don't you think Doc may have been like, listen, Marty, you could really mess up the space-time continuum if you start making your father do things that your dad isn't accustomed to doing, so maybe don't have him punch the bully who's going to kick his ass for the rest of his life.
0: Do you feel like that's necessary information, or do you think it's more fun to have Marty not know it, have him fuck it up, and have his dad do things that are uncharacteristic, and then in the third act to have Doc go, hmm. Probably shouldn't have done that.
1: No, of course it's more fun to do it the way it's done. It would be boring the way that I just explained, (laughs) but I'm just poking at something that may have, you know, whatever.
0: You know what I buy, though, is Doc is very scatterbrained. Mm -hmm. I sort of buy him missing certain (laughs) bits of information in his explanation to Marty.
1: Oh, I completely buy it. I don't even know why I'm like... Trying to cause problems in my favorite movie of all time. I've said this now, in every single episode we've done. <laughs> anyway,
0: I really want to ask you if uh, you feel like now that we've done Act One, Two, and Three, if your opinion of the movie has changed at all.
1: No, I love it even more.
0: Okay, good. I don't feel bad then.
1: Yeah, don't. It's great.
0: All right, so we have seven minutes and 22 seconds before the lightning is going to strike the tower, and we've got to be there so that we can go home, and that's what's going to power our time machine, and they go to say their goodbyes, and Doc is like, I'll see you in about 30 years, and Marty's expression warns us again that Doc is dead in 30 years, which is something I've also forgotten (laughs) until he says that again. Um, Yeah. And that's about when Doc finds Marty's letter in his pocket and he gets pissed that Marty is trying to tell him about the future and he tears it up. So now there's this heartbreaking moment where Marty tried to save his good friend and that there's no way that's going to happen now. So Marty's Mm -hmm. like, fine, I'm going to tell you anyways, just face to face. But then... A tree crashes down because of the storm that's going on right now and is going to cause the lightning. A tree crashes down and it pulls a plug loose way up high in the clock tower. So that's our second complication. Awesome. I think also interesting about this scene is because there's a huge storm here, they're screaming through this whole entire scene. Just yelling at each other because there's just so much wind, which I thought was really interesting it was a an interesting choice to present the scene that way like why do you feel like they did that
1: i feel like it kind of goes back to running in and out of the scene where it just creates this pace and just this frantic uh not atmosphere but just these moments where it's like doc marty you know and you're just like trying you're like hanging on every word that they say because they're screaming over this crazy weather that's going on so that's why i think they did it i think it's just to create just an intense moment what do you think
0: i totally agree yeah i totally agree it just makes the whole scene feel super rushed very panicked everything's more heightened like imagine this scene if even if there was a storm but they were just kind of talking normally and maybe running back and forth yeah it would feel (laughs) anticlimactic somehow I i think in yelling you feel the tension that they feel
1: the tension God, I couldn't even think of that word. That's exactly right. But it all... And it's just so perfect that like Marty doesn't get to tell Doc about the future because of the storm that they need to help them. And it's just so poetic. It's amazing.
0: It's Shakespearean again.
1: (laughs) It is Shakespearean.
0: Everything's there for a reason. Yes. So now... The storm has caused a new complication. Marty doesn't have time to tell him about his future death. They now have to fix this new complication. So Doc climbs up the tower. It's super high. It's dangerous. He drops this rope down to Marty so that he can kind of send the cable up to him. And Marty tries even again to yell up to him about his death (laughs) to try to prepare him. And that's when the clock tower bell chimes.
1: And
0: it's like. Marty look at the time you've got less than 4 minutes you got to get out of here. Marty again cannot tell Doc that he dies. Cannot save his friend. So Marty has to hood slide across the DeLorean, has awesome. to make this uh Doc has to make this dangerous climb up to the plug and he slips, which to me is a third complication because we mm-hmm. cut out right here when Doc slips, wondering if Doc's going to make it.
1: Yeah, I always wondered when he was hanging off of this thing, even though I know I'm jumping ahead. I was like, dang, this thing is going to break for
0: sure. 100%. It's so tense. (laughs) Yeah. So we cut out as soon as Doc slips, not knowing what happens to him. That's a great cliffhanger. We cut right to Marty, who's just finally driving to that white start here line. And he hooks up the hook thing to the thing because he needs to capture the lightning with this hook thing.
1: Yep. The yeah, I don't even know what that thing is, but yeah.
0: And then in the car, Marty realizes, "Fuck! Like, what do I do about Doc? Oh wait, I have all the time in the world. I can go back ten minutes early to (laughs) Doc going to die.
1: (laughs) All the time in the world, I'm going back ten minutes.
0: (laughs) Marty is not the brightest bulb in the pack."
1: I feel like that moment they could have definitely played into Marty not really knowing how to use the uh dashboard uh on the time machine and he's like trying to figure it out and he, all he can get is 10 minutes. Like maybe yeah, he didn't like listen to Doc.
0: dial down one by one and he's like yeah and he's he can only get to 10 before he has to go.
1: Yeah, like so that moment could have been so different and it would have solved this 10 minute issue that I think is, you know, Although watching it,
0: like watching it without analyzing it, I'm like, "All right, yeah, he's so smart. Yeah, go back ten minutes early. Absolutely, that's great." But like, but I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not.
1: I'm not going to go down this road. But let's just say he made it back ten minutes early. Mm. What is he going to do?
0: Yeah, how? I mean, the the mall must be close by because he was able to run there in the end. So, yeah, I guess his plan is to get there ten minutes early and be like, "Hey, Doc." in 10 minutes, you know, you should do something different. That doesn't give you a lot of time to avoid Libyan terrorists.
1: No. It doesn't.
0: Like would you would you go would you go there the day before so you could at least be like hand him a, a bulletproof vest to be like, "Hey, if you're going to go do your thing, here's at least a bulletproof vest to save yourself." <laughs> a day before so you can prepare.
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: Anyways, Barty goes decides he wants to go back 10 minutes early to save Doc. Everything's good to go and then the engine stops running. Boom. And it's not that far into this section of the movie and it's already our fourth complication.
1: I know, and this is also one of has always been a moment that I've loved but also one of my critiques. I just didn't like how he slammed his forehead against the steering wheel and it like restarts the car. I feel like that could have been set up earlier. And I also feel like this is exactly what I was saying about the Joss Whedon complications or coincidences get you out of problems. Like this is a, first of all, the problem didn't even need to be there. It's just fun. It's like just a fun moment that's needed or like extra. But he like slams his forehead against the steering wheel. There couldn't have been like a switch Doc told him about in the parking lot in act one that Marty was like, oh, that's right. You
0: know what? I'm thinking of right now, though, only just now, is that when we first meet the DeLorean in Act One, doesn't Doc, when he turns on the time machine, it's kind of like not working and he has to hit it.
1: You know what's really weird? Is it feels like that moment's in the movie, but I don't know if it is.
0: Don't you have it up playing right now?
1: This is the one time I didn't play it (laughs) in the background.
0: I feel like he does. I think he, he slaps it and maybe that connects to this moment here i'm going to believe in this
1: okay yeah i'm going to i'm going to let you write a script and then i'm going to give you the note one day that your character should slam her head into something to get it working <laughs>
0: That will be the note of the evening. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: would be like, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. I'm gonna be like, it's the Back to the Future note. Just put it in. It's an extra complication. <laughs> All your and notes you'll say- from
0: now on are just going to be based on Back to the Future, just cleverly disguised.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I swear I could hear you being like, well, Josh, that seems a little excessive. Like that doesn't seem like a natural moment for character or really any other purpose aside just to have a cool moment in the movie. But anyway, let's keep going. <laughs>
0: I didn't have a problem with it. All right. So we leave Marty with the car breaking down, wondering if he's fucked back to doc. Now who finally gets to the plug when the floor just falls out completely beneath him, the ledge and mm-hmm. the plug one side falls and luckily gets hooked on his foot and is just dangling there.
1: So that's Amazing. our fifth
0: complication. And this is also where we leave doc again, wondering how the hell he's going to get out of this with less than four minutes to go, yeah. Back to Marty, the DeLorean won't start. That's it. That's the moment. Back to Doc again, <laughs> and he's still struggling. He's hanging from the clock face now. He finally catches the plug, but the other one's now stuck on his foot, and he's just able to catch it when again you cut away. So I bring that up, bring up all of these cuts, only to say like we're cutting intercutting so much when tension is at its height and that's mm-hmm. exactly the way to do it i often will see scripts that pay off something before you're cutting away from it and that's always the wrong time to do that right so back yeah. to marty he can't get the car started when the alarm on the dashboard goes off which is the alarm that doc told him as soon as this goes off you gotta hit the gas so now he's fucked Frustrated, he slams his head into the steering wheel <laughs> and it magically starts the car <laughs> and he takes off. So now, all right, well, everything seems like it's going to be okay. That's just what? That's five complications. That's not bad. Then we get back to Doc, who's smiling. He's about to yeah. pull the plugs together finally, but then they don't reach. And it's because the tree that fell down below is on the wire, causing it to be. Oh too
1: my forged. God. I would pay, oh, I wish I could have a time machine to go back and watch this in the theater with people who were experiencing this, experiencing this for the first time, it's collectively. I bet you everyone was like, just like going crazy. I don't know what that noise was. but I'm just, I'm, I bet you everyone was just going crazy, just uncomfortable, just moving around.
0: A hundred percent. Like, what else could possibly go wrong? So this would be, if my calculations are correct, sixth complication. Boom. So as you can see, this is kind of at this point, it's become a mini movie in this section of the third act. And this is definitely something that I think these really great 80s movies, like I always point to Indiana Jones as a really prime example of a movie that does this with action scenes. And this I would consider an action set piece where there is a beginning and a middle and an end. You almost treat it like it's its own mini movie. And this is a perfect example where you get the setup, you get Doc explaining how it's all going to go down. We got seven minutes to do it. Act two is then everything is complicated and everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And then act three is Marty rushing to the finish line as Doc is tugging at these wires. Finally, he pulls it free, but now it's loose on the other side. So this is not going to work, right? Lightning is about to strike. Marty's headlights are coming down the street. Doc does not have these plugs in. So he kind of grits and zip lines down to the ground <laughs> uh, where he just barely is able to get everything plugged in in time. And it, everything happens at once. So as soon as he plugs it in, lightning strikes, instantaneously sends Marty back in time. Back in. Yeah. And we stay on dock here. We don't go with Marty. We stay on dock as he's kind of marveling at the devastation. The clock tower is broken and he's just dancing around. He's happy as can be. And our transition is looking up at the clock tower and hearing the helicopter come in, seeing it come in. There's now a homeless guy in the clock tower square. So we're back in 1985. And that was all pretty much, minus the intercuts, that was all just one scene.
1: Yeah, amazing.
0: So now we're in scene two and homeless guy is waking up he's the DeLorean having crashed into a movie theater uh, that's actually church and Marty drives back into the square and he's so excited he's back home when he sees the theater playing triple x movies for 24 hours Mm a day and orgy American style is playing and oh phew I'm back home (laughs) (laughs) Marty sees a clock and he realizes all right I still got time and he goes and starts the car only for it to shut down again. And while he's trying to get the DeLorean started, that familiar van drives by and it's the Libyans. So Marty has to leave the DeLorean and just start running. Yeah. And now we're into scene three. We're back at the mall just in time to get Doc shot. And just in time for Marty to like hear himself reacting, see himself go drive off and go back in time and also see what happens to the libyans which is they crash into the kiosk presumably they're dead i don't know we don't really yeah. go back to them
1: no we don't something that was is always really cool to, like what i thought was really cool is well first of all we talked about this in episode 1 of this but the mall is now lone pine mall because marty had driven over the uh pine at-
0: see i didn't even notice this again
1: damn what what are you watching are you not even watching back to the future yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, something that's always been really cool is that when Marty arrives at the parking lot, it seems like when he watches himself driving, mm. it's a very quick thing. Like it doesn't take that long. But then when you watch it and like the way that it was shot in act one, it's like this big elaborate fire, like just this huge moment, rightfully so, obviously. But I, I just always thought that was really cool. Of that perspective of like how quick something is when you're watching it but when you're in it it takes a really long time
0: oh, it feels different yeah it does capture that that's pretty cool
1: all right so he's he's in the mall lone pine mall
0: he's at the is that the mall parking lot our marty runs to doc who is alive it turns out because he wore a bulletproof vest well how did you know that and he pulls out this old letter which is still very cool to me I don't know mm-hmm. why. I'm a history major. I just find old stuff cool. But yeah, the the letter that Marty wrote in the diner is now weathered, and it's been taped back together from 1955. And this is another one of those moments where I feel like it's that coincidence you're talking about where Marty's like, what about all this talk about screwing up future events in this space-time continuum? And Doc says, well, I figured, what the hell?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm going to go against... Everything that I've told you and everything that I have believed over all this time, I'm just going to reverse my opinion and I'm going to change the space-time continuum to save my own life. What the hell? <laughs> I
0: do feel like this explanation would not really fly at this moment in time. Hell
1: no. Absolutely <laughs> not. There, This is why this movie's so unique and many other movies like this are so unique is because you just can't do these things, but somehow it worked, and probably because the director was also the writer and and th- he just knew it was gonna work. But as a screenwriter, i just i just i don't you can't get away with some of this stuff.
0: Here's a question though. if you created a character as distinct as Doc Brown, do you feel like you could get away with some of this shit because he's he's a kind of a crazy kook, so yeah, maybe- that's true. Maybe he would do that.
1: Okay. That does make that makes sense. That's also an interesting uh like character thing where if you have like a crazy character, maybe you can just get away with all of these things where that wouldn't make sense from anyone thinking logically. I think that's
0: a really good Smart thing to pay attention to. Maybe just if you're having trouble with like, logic, or you're doing a a crazy time travel movie where logic is always the problem with notes, mm-hmm. note givers, add a crazy character who can just yeah. fill in those gaps for you. Oh,
1: well, that's just Doc being Doc. Executives.
0: You know? Yeah, it's not. Hey, it's not my. It's not me doing that. The writer. It's it's Doc. It's the character.
1: Yeah. No big deal.
0: All right. So. They- so- Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, no, go. Go, go. What were you going to say? I was going to probably just say they hug it out and friggin' they go on with their day. (laughs) But I know you're going to (laughs) say...
0: Yeah, there's a lot more. So scene four, Doc drops Marty off at his house in the DeLorean, says he's going to go 30 years into the future because it's a nice round number.
1: (laughs) I love this moment, by the way. I love how Doc is... So grateful. And Doc seems like he's really affected by everything that's happened. I love it. He's so down to earth in this moment when he drops Marty off. It's like a father figure.
0: Yeah, there's sort of more intimacy between him and, and Marty in this moment, you mean? Absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely a lot more acting that goes on in this scene. There's sort of kind of quiet expressions of gratitude between each other. It was great. So then Doc's going into the future, he drives off, and Marty just sees a flash of white light, and we all know he's time-traveled. And Marty sneaks back into his house, and we're in scene five, which is the next morning, where Marty's gone to sleep, fully dressed again. You get the song, Gotta Get Back in Time, playing on the radio. (laughs) Yeah, and this is this is what I'm talking about, about feeling so satisfied with the ending, is everything that follows this, where Marty walks into the kitchen, and he's freaked out because the house is much nicer than it was when he left. His siblings are completely different now. The older brother's in a business suit. His sister's dressed really nice. And in act one, she was lamenting that she can never meet a guy. And mm-hmm. in this one, her brother is kind of giving her a hard time because she has more than one boyfriend. hmm Mom and dad come in. They're dressed super nice. They look really fit. I think they're coming in from playing tennis. Yeah. Just another <laughs> Josh connection here.
1: <laughs> it's why I play tennis.
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe they inceptioned you early on.
1: Oh, man.
0: You see uh, George pinches Lorraine's ass, so they're you know still a bit randy. They're still in love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They mentioned that Jennifer, Marty's girlfriend, called, and Lorraine has a completely different tune now in Act 3. Now she's like, oh, I sure like her, Marty. She's such a sweet girl.
1: <laughs> More Tasha Lorraine impressions.
0: <laughs> and Lorraine even knows about the date that they're going to go on, where they're going to go park in his car and she's excited for him and if you remember in act one she's like I never parked in cars with boys <laughs> and it's like you're not allowed to tell Lorraine that you're that they're going on a date because she will not accept it but now she's very accepting and then Marty's like mom I can't go on a date remember the car's wrecked and that's when we get the awesome transition of what the fuck the car is wrecked they go outside and Biff is waxing the car which is now a beamer <laughs> and George kind of lays down the law with Biff and there's a mention that, like, if it wasn't for Biff, we never would have fallen in love. But, like, there's a sense of, like, oh, bless his heart. Oh, Biff.
1: <laughs> hey, honey, do you remember when Biff tried to rape you in the backseat of that car? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, he's working for us now, so it's all good. Oh, that Biff, that crazy rapist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: It's a very satisfying ending. I can poke holes in it, but I'm not going to because it's so satisfying.
0: It's so satisfying. Biff is now kind of in his rightful place. Um, (laughs) He comes in carrying a box. And the acting here is so good because Biff's demeanor, all of his body language is just completely different now. Everyone's is. The acting is so good. Just the way everyone carries themselves is so drastically different than what we saw in act one. So it's brilliant. Uh, so Biff comes in carrying a box. Mr. McFly, you know, your book's just arrived. And turns out George has become a sci-fi writer. And he delivers that line that has been repeated through every act now where he says, like, I always told you, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. Which feels like one of the themes of the movie. So Biff here hands Marty a pair of keys. It's like, oh, it's all waxed up for you. It's ready for tonight. And he's like, what the hell? Keys? Yeah. Marty goes out in the garage to find that black truck that he was so madly in love with in act one is weirdly parked completely sideways in the garage, blocking every other car from ever getting in. And I don't know why, it always bothered me. (laughs) You don't park like that.
1: Wow, I didn't even think about that. (laughs) And I'm trying to pick it apart, okay.
0: (laughs) And I mean, we're pretty much here at the end where you get a flash bang Sorry, I'm stumping ahead. Jennifer walks in.
1: And kind
0: of senses that Marty's a little off. Is everything all right? And Marty takes one look back at his family and his house. And he's like, oh, yeah, everything is great. Marty has his happy ending. The family he wishes he had in act one, he now has because of him. But then flashbang Doc drives up real fast. He knocks over trash cans. He's dressed in this really crazy outfit. And he's like, Marty, you got to come back with me back to the future (laughs) josh loves my impressions
1: (laughs) they're pretty good they're really good actually
0: i guess i don't need that. (laughs) so one thing to know here i think is cool is doc is throwing trash into the new fuel tank of the delorean we no longer need plutonium at this point Presumably the future has changed the technology here, which is a cool detail. And he's like, all right, bring Jennifer along with you. This concerns her, too. And it's like, what happens to us in the future? We become assholes. And here's sort of the the prompt we need to carry us into movie two, which is it's your kids, Marty. Something has got to be done about your kids. And so we end the movie with Marty, Jennifer in the car with Doc. And Marty's like, man, you, you better back up. You don't have enough road to get to eighty eight. Yeah. And then what does he say?
1: Roads. (laughs) (laughs) Where we're going, we don't need roads.
0: Damn straight. And the Dorian lifts off the ground and he flies off. That's it. That's all of the movie. Done. So satisfying.
1: So satisfying. In um I've got I've got a lot, just not a lot, but just a few things to unpack. Bring it on. well, first of all, it's really interesting that they put Jennifer in the car when it flies away at the end. Always, I always found that to be really interesting. And as it, as it goes, as legend has it, apparently, uh, they didn't really know what they were doing for the second movie. And just because of the way it ended, that's obviously they had to like kind of cater it to Marty and Jennifer being in the DeLorean. Mm-hmm. It's just really weird because Jennifer is so unimportant to the movie. Yeah. All right. So here's my question, Tasha. First of all, amazing job. Someone is clapping for you somewhere who's listening to this. You did an amazing job of breaking that all down.
0: Thanks, Josh. Here's
1: my question. So everyone changed. George has changed. Lorraine has changed. Biff has changed. Every other character has changed. As you said, Marty, he's changed his life around him for the better. Has Marty McFly changed over the course of Back to the Future?
0: I think yes. Do you disagree?
1: I don't disagree, but I can see the argument for why he hasn't changed.
0: I get your point about him still being late. I think that's just sort of a character quirk of Marty's. But his confidence level has changed. I think it's a story about a young man learning about confidence and trying to take control of his life. And that's literally what he does over the course of the movie. He changes his entire life kind of single-handedly. And I think in act two, we talked about those moments that are prompting this character arc where he sees his mom in the cafeteria being harassed by Biff. And just on instinct, because it's his mom driving him emotionally to do this, he confronts Biff when normally he wouldn't. In fact, in act one, as we said, he just stares at Biff and wants to say something so bad, but he doesn't have the balls to do it. But in act two, because he's driven by real emotions here with his mom, he does do it. And then he has the confidence conversation with George and he's pushing George to ask Lorraine out. There's just more and more confidence building over the course of act two that I don't really feels like it pays off in act three. Like you don't then see a big character moment from Marty in act three where he shows his confidence. That's not, that's already been buttoned up and resolved in act two, which is kind of interesting because- Usually when I think you or I think of a movie that we're writing and the character arc, we don't, (laughs) we would never pitch this or write that our main character's arc ends in Act 2. Like, main character should end in Act 3, but that's not the case here. His arc is done in Act 2, at the end of Act 2. In Act 3, it's all about wrapping up everybody else, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's about confidence, taking control of your life. I guess that's his arc. But it just seems like he's like the same person.
0: Yeah, but I think it seems that way because he doesn't have a moment to himself in Act 3. It's just him taking in everybody else.
1: Yeah. I I once read that um, Crispin Glover, who plays George McFly, he had some problems with the movie because it was basically expressing that uh, material things are really good for you. And that's when you, you know, if you can change your life, you'll get a beamer, you'll get it. Well, apparently the exact same house that they lived in, which by the way, you know, I'm not even go down that road. Uh, My point being, is just like he, Marty just changed everything around him, like drastically changed everything around him. But not that Marty, he's still wearing those same clothes and waking up in the same bed and living with his brother and sister who are so successful, but they're still in the house. And
0: Yeah. Is the sense that they just came over for breakfast?
1: I don't know. Or do they live in that house? I don't know. It's so satisfying. You just don't care. It's
0: also such a movie breakfast. There's like croissants and just like this huge spread laid out for breakfast. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I definitely see that point. I think he's changed. And I know you think he changed too because you're just as satisfied in act two when he shows his confidence and he does his thing on stage and all of that as, as I am. So that's, that's his shining moment. He just doesn't get one in act three, but that's, yeah, I get that. I get feeling like he doesn't change.
1: Listen, I'm just playing devil's advocate to the other argument, just for the sake of having this conversation. If anyone outside of this podcast were to come up to me and talk to me the way I'm talking to us right now, I'd run the other way. (laughs) Like don't, don't talk about back to the future like that. Dude, he'd
0: run. (laughs) I thought you were gonna say slap him or punch him. He'd run.
1: (laughs) I would. I would. I would. I would. George. I would run the other way. (laughs) I would would be George McFly. (laughs)
0: Amazing. Um, can I talk about your Jennifer comment for a second? Because I'm actually faced with this note in a script I'm writing now, where you said that Jennifer doesn't really show up in the movie that much, so it's weird that he's sitting with her in the car and that she becomes kind of a major piece in in the final bit of the movie. I have a script I'm writing now where the act one is a character and her fiance and they get separated. And over the course of act two of the story and a big note, I'm getting back is your hero really needs to be constantly asking where her fiance is constantly. It has to be on her mind constantly. And my response is it is at first, but she's got bigger problems to face in act two than just the fiance going missing. And I think this movie does a really good job at the kind of two emotional bits, which is Jennifer and doc Brown where Marty's very sad that Doc Brown has died in 1985 and keeps Mm -hmm. trying to tell Doc, but there's other shit that happens. It's not always on his mind. There aren't these really big, sad scenes. They're just tiny little moments where they address it and remind you that that's a thing that's going on. And I think same with Jennifer. The first thing he says to Doc when he's like, Doc, I got to go home is that he wants to go home to Jennifer. And we understand that Marty feels emotionally invested in his relationship with Jennifer. He misses her. He loves her. But so much shit happens between that moment and the end of the movie that Jennifer doesn't come up and we're okay with that because there's so many more important things going on. And I think this note that I'm getting can kind of be wrong where it's okay if your character just sort of flags every now and again, this emotional thing of missing their fiance or whatever it is in your script. As long as other stuff is happening and messing up their lives to the point where we understand why they're distracted. So I, th- I just think that this movie does a really good job of that. Because when Jennifer comes in in the third act, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the happy ending is he gets Jennifer in his car. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, this is actually sort of what we talked about of like establishing characters in the first act, their needs and wants, and then going with the story in the second act.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I feel like now what I would probably have done is insert a little scene where he's looking at, you know, bad version is he's looking at a photo of him and Jennifer, sadly, in between scenes.
1: Absolutely. I agree. Like he'd be looking at Jennifer throughout and talking to Doc about Jennifer and oh, this great girl. Like he just doesn't bring her up. And then going forward throughout Back to the Future 2 and 3, like she's so unimportant in like the grand scheme of things. And she just shows up again at like the very end.
0: It's very strange. Of
1: Back to the Future Part like 3. like they didn't
0: know what to do with her. They just know they needed a love interest character.
1: Yeah, I Which I, I agree. think is
0: interesting because we haven't talked about the 1981 script in Act 3 yet. And Jennifer is not in this movie in 1981.
1: You need a love interest. Well, that actually makes a ton of sense. If she's not in that original kind of idea of what they wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. That makes all the sense in the world. They're like, this isn't a Jennifer story. She's just going to be in it, which is why it's really weird that she gets into the DeLorean at the end.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, actually. Yeah, in the in the original script, there is someone that Marty is dating, although it's unclear if they're dating or they just started dating in the course of the actual movie, and it's a yeah. Susie, and she never comes up again after Act One. She's never seen, and... Just to go to the 1981 script for a second, it's really interesting how bad it is. Um, what th- what they do with their third act is so different than what we have here. the The way that they want to go back in time or that they're able to go back in time or sorry, back to the future in the third yeah. act of the original draft is through an atomic bomb that's being tested at a nearby military site which talk about coincidence. It just so happens they're testing this atomic bomb at this time. And they're going to use that energy and sort of transfer it into a refrigerator.
1: Nuke the fridge. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So like the, and the way it happens too, is they drive up to this military base heavily guarded and they convince the MB at the gate that they belong inside because they have a refrigerator that's being tested for like what kind of damage is going to happen in an atomic bomb explosion and the mp's just like all right cool that tracks come on in (laughs) (laughs) and they're like oh phew (laughs) and they drive in and marty just kind of chills on the base and doc drives out on a motorcycle and then marty at the last second he forgot the Coca-Cola, which is what powers rather than plutonium. In this case, Coca-Cola is what powers the time machine. And he forgot it in his jacket that Doc Brown has. So again, Marty is, I guess he's kept that kind of (laughs) flighty sort of irresponsible nature all the way through. Mm -hmm. Um, But luckily he randomly finds two Coca-Colas and uses that in the refrigerator and then drives the truck up to the site of the atomic explosion and I guess here is where you start to get some obstacles, but the obstacles vary one note, meaning in our act three that we just pitched you, there's all these different things happening to cause obstacles. Doc is falling. There's the storm. There's the car breaking down. In the script, it's one note and that the only obstacle is that the military's trying to kill them. And it's just literally one gun shooting at Marty on this field, trying to kill him. The explosion happens, and it's basically the scene from Indiana Jones 4.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: where in Indy, like, opens the refrigerator and he's miraculously alive.
1: Yeah, nuke the fridge.
0: Pretty sure Robert has just lent Spielberg that, that moment. I'm
1: 100% sure. I've read that before.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was stolen from this script, which you would have thought that they saw this and was like, oh, we're glad we, we didn't use that because that's not good. But no.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. The Coca-Cola thing is just weird. But, like... Have you ever seen Honey, I Shrunk the Kids?
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Remember how, like, the thing that made them shrink was uh, an apple? Maybe that was just like the thing that these movies did back then, where it was like,
0: no, the apple was. The or first no, I'm sorry, a,
1: a baseball. It was the baseball.
0: The baseball bounced and turned the machine so that it hit them, right?
1: I don't know. We're gonna actually have to do a very extensive <laughs> breakdown of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Talk about cause and effect. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> the what what they landed on is obviously much better. There's so many twists and turns to how you get to the end and everything is completely satisfying in how they resolve everything. And I think it's just a huge masterclass in a obstacles, but also how to tie up loose ends in a really Absolutely. satisfying way. I think I sometimes forget the ends that I've loosened throughout my script. Uh-huh. I actually have a note card right next to me right now uh, reminding myself to tie up certain loose ends in one of my scripts right now because you just forget by the time you get to the end. Yeah. Do you have any last words before we leave Back to the Future forever?
1: Here's my closing. I love Back to the Future. I think it's a masterpiece and I actually think it should be rebooted at one point in the future.
0: And I can't wait for your reboot.
1: And I can't wait for it either. I I firmly believe that. But no, I I feel like if any screenwriter wants to kind of like really learn about cause and effect in a script, I feel like Back to the Future is the perfect movie.
0: Perfect. Tone, perfect. Character, perfect. It's got everything.
1: What what are your final thoughts?
0: That's it. Those are my final thoughts. It's perfect. Go watch it. Go break it down. Do what we did. Write down every scene. See how everyone gets from place to place. I think you will learn a lot. A lot, a lot.
1: If you're listening to this and you haven't seen Back to the Future, Mm. write Tasha right now because I want to know who you are. I want to know everything about you and I want to know why you haven't seen Back to the Future. And then I want to do a live screening with whoever hasn't seen it so I can watch their reactions when they're watching Back to the Future.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's both creepy and something I would want to do as well. (laughs) So we're going to have another breakdown series because we're kind of just doing this for the holiday. It's we don't want anything too serious this holiday, I think. But check out our next breakdown series coming up soon, which is the Lethal Weapon breakdown.
1: Oh, which
0: is coming out the week of Christmas. Please enjoy.
1: Yeah. I'm speechless <laughs> about that. I don't even...
0: So good. All right. So we'll end with the quote of the day. The third act must build, build, build in tempo and action until the last event. And then that's it. Don't hang around. Billy Wilder. Please remember to rate and subscribe. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify.